Fuck Off, overproduced by Martin Hannett, take four. Greetings, salutations, and welcome to the 29th episode of the Midnight Film Review Podcast. I'm Colin Smith. I don't know what that was. I sort of started to go Arnold, but then got know, scared. I I had a I had a change of heart. Uh, with me, as always, is my co-host Brian Stevens. Yeah, that, Brian. Brian. <laughs> Sound like quarrel? Yeah, it's quarrel. A, that was an honor of uh, of Ted Cruz punching his wife and then elbowing her in the face. Uh, yeah. Totally. You, you tell me you saw that. No. Fine. I don't know what you're well, talking about. I'll show it to you on the break, and it's ridiculous. <laughs> he didn't do it on purpose. He's hugging a guy when he's announcing his leaving race, and he first he punches her on accident, and then he hits her with an elbow, <laughs> and then he backhands her when he's pulling out. <laughs> I don't know if I believe that. <clears throat> I guess the video will tell. Yes. The video will tell the tale. We've got a, an excellent show for you tonight. Um I'm going to do a little open discussion. We're going to touch on a few things. We're we're excited about the upcoming Killing Joke animated feature. Talk about that briefly. Um, Talk a little bit more about the much hated uh, (laughs) Ghostbusters reboot. The most hated. The most hated movie trailer of all time on YouTube. Or down disliked. Yeah. I was going to say downvoted. That's Reddit, though. It's not a downvote. Dislike. Thumbs down. Thumbs, yeah, dislike. Uh, and then there's some more super exciting news about, you know, the next cinematic universe we're, like, just on the edge of our seats for, which is Universal's Monsters. Um, Russell Crowe was added to... He's in negotiations to be added to the lineup uh, with maybe his own little his own little character arc or films or something. We'll talk about that. Um I, as usual, am not prepared in any way and have not had time to do anything. So uh, we're going to have one media hot take from Brian. And we're going to wrap it up with uh, a review of uh, Green Room by Jeremy Saulnier. Uh, I mean, just one of the best young up-and-coming directors right now. and uh, Yeah, he's amazing. Brian really has me to thank for knowing about uh, it. You're absolutely correct. And a thousand and twenty percent. Just just kidding. Um, <laughs> so yeah, well let's let's get started by talking I, I think it's I think we need to have a frank conversation. Um, you're letting us down. Yes, you. No, don't don't look around, I'm talking to you. <laughs> um, once again, our email inbox is desolate and barren. Um, and we need you to change that. We need you to bring fertility to the the womb of our of our email inbox. Uh, send us an email, midnightfilmreview at gmail.com. Really, we would love to hear from you. We'll read it. We'll take it seriously. We'll answer questions, unless you ask me to make a list, and then it might take two emails for that to happen. <laughs> um, but to kind of up the ante a little bit we're going to do something special um so we have a copy of the film that brian starred in uh the general specific and everyone who emails us uh before our next recorded show will be entered um in a chance to to win win a copy of the movie um 
That's right. So write us an email, midnightfilmreviewgmail.com, uh, and you could win a little bit of Brian to uh, take home and savor anytime you'd like. A lot of me. You see a lot of me in this yeah. picture. Oh, yeah. Not, not enough, but a lot. <laughs> That's a good... I love the way you just put that. Uh-huh. Say that again? <laughs> not enough of you, but a lot. Yes, uh-huh. exactly. You know what I'm talking uh, yeah, about, ladies. Absolutely. <clears throat> yes, I so um, I'm not sure how we'll decide who the winner is. Maybe if it's a uh, excellent uh, email, or maybe you're the only person who does emails, yeah. uh, or maybe it's a drawing. <clears throat> who knows? We'll figure something out. Yeah, the point is send us emails. You could get something free. Um, something free that you may not want, but damn it, <laughs> we're going to give it to you anyway. Exactly. That's that's sort of the theme here at uh, the Midnight Film Review. <laughs> uh, so yeah, um, that's kind of exciting. You know, maybe in like five years we'll have you know enough listeners to make our first crappy silkscreen T-shirts, and we can give those there away. There you go. Yes. When people fail to email us for like four weeks in a row. <laughs> uh, uh, well. Let's let's talk about some media stuff and things. I feel like that's why we're here. Yeah. So uh, it's not for the dog barking in the background. Well, I mean, that you know, that's part of the ambiance. <laughs> it wouldn't be. So it's, it's not sh- why we're here. But, it wouldn't be you know, the show without it's, it. It's part of what we do here. Is we overcome adversity to bring that's you right. this podcast. Uh huh. Dogs barfing under the table. Dogs barking above our heads. We're got. We're not going to stop. <laughs> Never. We're going to fight through it for you. We're never going to give up. <laughs> no matter how much you beg us. <laughs> no matter how much you don't email us. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, Killing Joke. Uh, super exciting. Uh, I don't I don't know, you know, listeners or Brian, uh, like how familiar you are with the DC animated features, but um, they've, made, they've made some good stuff. Uh, but I think... The best stuff they've done um, has been pretty much the Batman exclusive uh, little animated films. I agree. Uh, and the you know the most recent one, uh, which I feel like was pretty well received, pretty popular, was um, the Dark Knight Returns. Mm-hmm. Even though it you know didn't have either of the two people that it should have had in it right. playing the two important roles. Correct. Um, it was like it. It was dark, um, but not you know not as dark as the source material, but dark enough to feel adult, to mm-hmm. feel like it was it was real. It wasn't just right. you know a cash in or an attempt to turn it into you know shoehorn it into like the Batman animated series mold and make money from it or something. Yeah, they definitely tried to make it uh, as true to the comic as possible. I feel. Uh, while hitting that PG thirteen, yeah, that hard PG thirteen yeah, rating, hard, you know, yeah. you know what I'm talking about. But the Killing Joke, they've just kind of said we're gonna go all out. Yeah, uh, in, <laughs> I, I wonder. I wonder if this is like a, uh, you know, DC animated production studios like giving Zack Snyder uh, and Warner the middle finger. <laughs> and may- saying this is how you make you know you want to make it dark we'll show you how yeah, to make it dark right. not with this dumb crap you've been doing um, so my, like did you did you enjoy like Under the Red Hood or um, 
Mask of, Fan- Mask of the Phantasm. So Mask of the Phantasm was... Now, as far as I know, that wasn't adapted from a comic story. I could be totally wrong. I I think, I th- no, I think you're right. I yeah. think it, it was an original story for uh, adapted to be a Batman TAS movie. Mm-hmm. Um, but I still have a copy of Mask of the Phantasm on VHS. Loved it. Um, super interesting, super dark. Um, you know, and it set up that same Batman dilemma yeah. that we are, you know, seeing still. Or not, I mean, not seeing in the case of the last Batman films, but, you know, to kill or, you know. Right. What what separates Batman from, you know, vigilantes, what separates him from the people he's trying to stop? Right. Uh, how far is he willing to go? Um, and it was, it was really just so well done. Uh, and the ending was, you know, brutal. And there was blood um, for the first time in a... You know, an animated comic book or an animated superhero film, um, and I loved it. Uh, mm-hmm. um, Under the Red Hood was good. Um, like I, I liked. Uh, I, I think I liked uh, Dark Knight Returns a little bit more, um, just because it was. It, it's just such an interesting and compelling yeah. story right. to be adapted. Um, you know, because it, it moves the opposite direction of, you know, how Batman is usually portrayed. Yeah. Um, so, but, I, you know, the, so uh, Killing Joke brings back Kevin Conroy, uh, who is the only person who should be voicing Batman, mm-hmm. as far as I'm concerned. Uh, and if you've played the uh, Arkham Asylum or Arkham City, or if you watch Batman the Animated Series, the Paul Dini masterpiece, um, or... I, I forget. I I mean, he was Mass, Batman and Mass of the Phantasm, mm-hmm. obviously. I don't know who was in Under the Red Hood, but I know uh, it was... Um, it was freaking Robocop who did it, who did Batman yeah. and um, Dark Knight Returns, whose name I can't... Robert I can't, Patrick? No. No, not Robert Patrick. Um, I, yeah, I don't know either. I... Sorry. And then it, uh, Ben Linus from Lost, whoever that actor's name was, the Joker. Um, uh, so Bruce Greenwood was, which is interesting, uh, you know, <clears throat> for Under the Red Hood. Under the Red Hood. Yeah, so, you know, he's been in tons of movies. Most famously, recently, I guess you could say, played uh, James Kirk's father in the recent Star Trek reboot. Um, but, I mean, you would recognize Bruce Greenwood. He's been in a ton of stuff. Um, what we'll find out who what RoboCop's name is in just a second. Yeah, Peter or Paul or something like that. Uh, Peter Weller. Peter Weller. That's yeah. what it was. Uh, anyway, Peter Paul. Peter Paul. Mary. Yeah. <laughs> um. So, the Killing Joke brings back Kevin Conroy as Batman, uh, and just as important, Mark Hamill as the Joker. Mm-hmm. Um. Like watching other, you know, other Batmans, I can kind of deal with, but other Jokers in animated Batman. He's just so good. He's just so, so good, so maniacal. The energy he brings to the character, and you know what? I I grew up with Batman the animated mm-hmm. series. Same. That was my jam. Same. So I'm totally biased. Not gonna lie. Um, yeah. But they like their their contributions to making Batman part of the mainstream culture. I think. It's hard to 
hard to under undervalue that. Right. Um, so they're back, which is awesome. Um, and you know, I'm not sure if it's because of the success or the uh, you know the praise that Dark Knight Returns got, or because the Killing Joke is such a dark um, like arc to begin with. But whatever the reason, they decided to go with a you know a full R uh, direct to DVD, Blu-ray, whatever you want to call it, um, animated feature. Uh, and if you, I mean, if you know anything about the Killing Joke, um, it's got it's some pretty brutal um, yeah. realizations for some some big characters in uh, in Gotham. Um, there's a there's a sense of like uh, realness to the story that uh, not many comic books have, and I know that Batman's the most grounded superhero, quote unquote. Um, but this feels really grounded. Like, the, the stakes are high in The Killing Joke. And I remember the first time I read it was probably right before The Dark Knight came out. And my mind was just like, what? Like, the Joker can be this dark? Like, Batman can have to do these things? Like, it, it really... Um, I'd always been a Batman fan, but I'd never... I never really, I never really understood uh, the obsession with Joker as a character, and I feel like the Killing Joke just. Uh, and I know that that's in the part of the reason I read it was because you know Heath Ledger had read, had written had read that in the Long Halloween it were his two big uh, influence on his portraying of the Joker. But I I think that I would say that the Killing Joke is probably my favorite, uh, my favorite iteration of the Joker for sure. Yeah, Uh, I mean it's you know Alan Moore, um, very very interesting, and so the uh, it it was stuff like this um, that kind of helped keep the Joker uh, and keep Batman relevant as a character. Um, you know, giving uh, giving writers chances to do these uh, one shot arcs um, that are still like held up as uh, legendary to this day. Um, but yeah, uh, there's a trailer out right now. Uh, the The Blu-ray drops uh, July second, I think, is the release date. Um, so that is awesome. I'm yeah. I'm really looking forward to that. Uh, now let's talk about something a little less awesome, I guess. <laughs> um, so Ghostbusters, we sort of touched on uh, the Ghostbusters trailer before. Um, and we were not the only ones irked by it. Uh, you know, not... I, I feel like our our criticisms, you know, were... Uh, of course, there's lots of just, you know, super generalized sexist that backlash be, yeah. against the film. Which is ridiculous, but um, the, the there's also more than that. Uh, and Paul Feig and Melissa McCarthy have both um, kind of talked about the trailer in recent interviews. Um, but but the important important part of the Melissa McCarthy interview is that she was like, "Yeah, the trailer made no sense," and I told <laughs> the studio, and they just totally ignored me. 
Um, and she's confirmed that it's not a sequel reboot. It's just a reboot. There's Straight no reboot. continuity. The original films never took place in this world. It is just a total reimagining of the franchise. Which was the exact thing that the studios promised wasn't happening. Is it? Yeah, so, you know, uh, Comic-Con two years ago when this was announced, part of the uh, way that they pitched it to fans to get them excited was, hey, don't worry. This isn't a reboot. This is uh, an extension of what you remember. Yeah. These are the new Ghostbusters. Ghostbusters sequel. And the trailer starts out that way. Yeah. You know, the 30 years ago. Yeah, Uh uh-huh. And then it's like, this is the exact same characters and story that you, and and that's to me, I mean, was is the biggest problem. And Peter Serretta at Slash Film, um, they so Paramount's obviously it's Paramount, correct? I don't the even studios. know. Yeah, the, the studio behind Ghostbusters um, is obviously trying to do some spin control. They're trying to spin this uh, a different way. I think it might be Sony actually, but honestly, who cares? Um, so what they did, they screened uh, 15 minutes of this m- movie for select critics. Um, critics who they thought might be friendly to the footage. And Peter Serretta basically said it was one of the worst things he's ever seen. And I mean, I'm putting words in his mouth in, in, in a way, but he was like, it was not good. I mean, from what he could say, he said he did not enjoy it. And it made him worried for the film. Um you couple that with the way that she's trying to say basically like listen it's a reboot it's just get over it it's a reboot move on um the trailer was bad we're sorry i just i think um if you're trying to touch into the same thing that made the original ghostbusters so successful you're looking at it completely the wrong way i mean an all-woman cast is not the problem. The problem is make it feel like it's their own movie. Why do we have to have the same type of characters doing the same types of things, making the same types of jokes? Uh, you, we don't. We don't. I mean, you have some talented comedians, talented actresses in these roles, and a talented director. But I feel like. What we're well, I truly feel like what we're gonna see hit the screen is going to be one of the biggest flops of all time. It's just setting up that way. Yeah, I just so I don't understand what's why they're rebooting this film. I guess like there, it's not it's not a sequel. So what do you have that's compelling? Um. What. Besides, uh, so it. I mean, okay, a, f- a female cast. That's a novelty. But do you have the characters there, or do you have a a conflict in the narrative to make it worth our while? Like to to to, to make this worth rolling the dice on for you as a studio, right? Because you're going up against all the uh, the the goodwill and. Um, the you know I mean this this movie is a part of a lot of people's childhoods uh, nostalgia is French, huge. yeah just the nostalgia factor uh, it, it it just seems like such a huge gamble um, 
Well, and for instance, I mean, nostalgia it plays a huge part of of some of these, you know, reboots or um, sequels. So Jurassic Park, a, a lot of what was credited to that movie's success was that it was a sequel, and they went back to the park. It wasn't a reboot, or it wasn't a retelling. It was. This this happened, and they even address it. They talk about it. There's callbacks to the original, and it gives you that sense of... I mean, say what you want about the film. Uh, it, it's not a great film, uh, but the reason people saw it multiple times and they kept going back was because, one, the characters they, they thought were fun, but two, they when that theme hits from the first one, it brings them back to their childhood. It brings them back to the first time they saw Jurassic Park and those memories, and they project those memories on that movie and you don't really have that here like if anything it looks it if anything it makes you feel like they're taking a dump on your memories kind of well and and what was sad for me is that paul feig um was asked about the trailer too and he basically wrote off everybody's criticisms as just uh like sexism um which I mean, it sucks, you know? Like, there, there is a sexist backlash against this movie. I get that. But what? at the same time, there are valid criticisms. Like, what is the point of this film? Why is it being made? Mm-hmm. Why should we care about these characters? Um, and it's it's disappointing to see somebody who did something so fun and enjoyable and novel with Spy... Uh, and who's made some other okay films? Um, I like. I just. I don't. I don't understand why they're doing this. Why are they? And, and we won't really know until we see the film. Yeah, everything um, now is really speculation. Once, once July hits and this movie comes out, then we'll know for sure. And I, the thing is, like, I have hope for it. Like, I want it to be good. I think that the talent is there. You know, I just. They're coming. They're taking a long time to come out with a second trailer, and by now, we're two months away from this movie hitting theaters. We should have seen a lot more marketing. Yeah. Like, there's no marketing. I mean, think about how long we saw marketing for uh, Captain America. How long you know we saw marketing? I mean, we're 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 seeing uh, marketing for. Um, uh, sorry, my mind just went blank. Uh, Independence Day two for six months we've been seeing it. I mean, you know, they've had two trailers and three featurettes that have been released. So, you know, uh, X-Men Apocalypse, same thing. So that makes me worry too that the, the marketing's not there because that makes me think that they don't want to put any more money into this film. Yeah, I just... Uh, yeah, and, and I mean, the, the, the other sad thing is that making this film a sequel gives an in um, as far as the narrative is, is concerned to bridge the gap uh, between the last generation and, and this right. uh, I mean you, can, you know I guess it wouldn't be a true reboot but reboot sequel or franchise reboot um, I mean I, th- I think giving it a connection to the to the last films was would have been a, a great way to involve female characters you know yeah um 
in an organic way instead of just casting four women in these parts and then are I mean are they playing the same characters it are seems they... like it doesn't it feel like it I mean from that trailer just uh, yeah I, I don't know I mean it it's it's just really hard to tell I mean it you know uh, it. I mean, it doesn't seem like it because you know. Or okay, so Kristen Wiig is Egon, right? You could infer that. Well, no, you, see, you don't I, think so. No, I felt like, I felt like, um, she was was playing um, Peter Finkman. Finkman and Kristen Wiig. Yeah, it because if if you, I mean, not that we saw a lot of her character, but if you look at um, Kate McKinnon's character, they're the one doing the goofy goofy shit, you know. Like yeah, but wearing the goggles like Egon does, where he looks up and he, and he she's doing that same bit with with the goggles on. No, I mean, but she wasn't because Egon isn't his character isn't self aware. He's the he's the straight man. Um, that you know, that, that's the difference. Kate McKinnon was like her character was being goofy. Mm-hmm. Egon is totally without humor, and that you know, that's a, adds to the dynamic. And then you have Venkman who is full of himself and not really in it for anything but you know the the fortune and the fame yeah so i, I don't know it, this isn't worth talking about anymore <laughs> yeah. it's just it's kind of sad that we've gotten a response and this is the response we've gotten to Agreed. be written off by paul feig and have kind of the worst case fears confirmed by melissa mccarthy mm-hmm. hey but at least she was like bummed out by the trailer too. And like she was honest too. Yeah. She I mean she was like, "Hey, listen. I knew that was a bad trailer." Yeah. Like I'm not going to make excuses for it. Like I'm not going to call anybody sexist. We know that they're out there. I mean, you can read their comments on YouTube. Yeah. And Twitter, but I mean the, the fact that she's like, you know, they put 30 years ago on a on the trailer to a film that is a straight reboot with <laughs> yeah, their continuity like... that I mean it's fucking baffling. Yeah. So, yeah. You're right. I'm still going to like Melissa McCarthy, like, no matter what, and Kristen Wiig, no matter what, but, you know. Yeah. All right. Let's uh, let's talk about something more ridiculous, shall we? <laughs> Even more ridiculous. So, uh, Universal's Monsters Universe franchise <laughs> continues to be a theoretical real thing. <laughs> Uh, and the big news from the last 24 hours is that they are trying to sign Russell Crowe, famed Aussie brawl, bar brawler Russell Crowe, um, to play Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. Uh, is, I mean, are they, are they doing like League of Extraordinary Gentlemen or are they doing Universal right. Monsters? Because uh, I feel like Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde were not Universal Monsters. No, I... I mean, and I think Russell Crowe is a strange casting choice for that, uh, too. Uh, I mean, they're definitely going for pedigree. I mean, they definitely want names. They, you know, Tom Cruise, Russell Crowe. They're Crow. going for name recognition. I wouldn't for say sure. pedigree. I mean... Can you, can you say Tom Cruise has a pedigree as an actor? He's been nothing but an action star for For a while now, a yeah. Time. I mean, he and he's definitely got charisma, though. I, 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 this is a perfect role for him. This is a per, this is what I would imagine Tom Cruise to be doing right about now. You say that, but 
Do you have any idea what his role no. is? <laughs> I, no, no. I, it seems like it's going to be an action film. He's okay. an ex-Special special Forces yeah. dude. So, But I, I, I'm guessing he's going to be working with Russell Crowe to stop the mummy. I'd... Well, no. They, so what, they, what, what the article said is that basically it would involve... If Russell Crowe appeared in the mummy film, it would be a cameo to set up his oh. character so they can spin off a, uh, a solo... Origin story for they're just, Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. They're trying to marvel the shit out of this universe. I mean, you're God. gonna you're gonna have you're gonna have all kinds of teasers at the end of movies for the next one. You're gonna have it's gonna. I mean, this. What are they doing? You. I mean, you can't make this stuff up. Like, <laughs> it's like we talk shit about DC and how dumb DC is for putting the cart before the horse and trying to blindly emulate Marvel's success. But at least they're both comic book franchises. Right. Like, this is just wacko. I I mean, like... uh, (laughs) It's it's insane. I just... I really wonder what the kind of culture is that can, like, foster these ideas and then allow people to spend hundreds of millions of dollars on them. Like... Uh, um, so, but Mar- but here's the thing: is Universal has been so successful. They were the most profitable production company last year. Yeah, but they want they want the success of of Marvel, of of Disney. <laughs> it doesn't I mean? And they're guaranteed they're guaranteed <laughs> just, that by investing in these <clears throat> movie monsters that nobody who is under the age of. 70 <laughs> even it knows about uh, or cares about or, I mean, well especially cares about it, I mean nobody cares about but at least old people know you know yeah. who the creature from the black lagoon and the invisible man are right that's true um, I, I mean I'll give them credit they're going out they're spending money they're they're landing big names for these roles so they're obviously invested at this point I mean Johnny Depp Russell Crowe Tom Cruise uh I wasn't. Uh, I'm not gonna say that because I don't know for sure, but I, I think they, they've reached out to other huge names, um, to be in other films. So, so far, we have yeah. the Mummy, we have Doctor Jekyll or Mister Hyde, and Mister Hyde, whatever, and we have the Invisible Man. Where do we go from from there? Like, who else are they gonna try and introduce? What is the what is the greater narrative going to be? Maybe, maybe we can get maybe we can get a crossover into something even more ridiculous, like <laughs> aliens versus the universal monsters. Uh, would you be surprised? Because you know? I mean, no, I wouldn't. I mean, the the thing is, they're taking this serious. Whereas we have the MIB Jump Street crossover that is undoubtedly going to make fun of the idea within itself it's going to be completely meta they're being I, this is going to be dead serious and like you're saying like they're going to cross over all these films so it's like Dracula's the head of all this like is he just going to, trying to be controlling an undead well, that's, army that's like, what I said because of Monster Squad that's yeah. the only thing I could come up with like you know unless I don't is it gonna is it gonna be like end up with like a disaster movie or Van Helsing was my other yeah, crazy left field idea where 
Maybe it'll be like Tom Cruise and Van Helsing. Like all the heroes from all these individual oh, right. movie origin stories will unite to fight all the bad guys at once. I think, and that's the thing. I was, I think they're missing the idea that what what, what makes the bad guys compelling, you know? Like it's they're missing a lot of ideas. There, there's a lot of things that I don't understand, and I would postulate that they they definitely don't understand about this plan. Uh, like, man. Focus group your shit. Like, what is what is going on here? <laughs> Maybe they are. Maybe How, they just had the wrong focus group. Jesus God, I. This is just like I can't believe this is happening. This is so ridiculous. 2016, and uh, we said this before, so I feel like it's kind of beating a dead horse. But you know, in the last year, we had I Frankenstein, Victor Frankenstein, both <laughs> huge failures at the box office. Yeah, Dracula Untold massive failure at the box office there's no precedent in the last 10 years for this idea to be successful I mean there just isn't uh, I mean do you think they're trying to capitalize they'll end up capitalizing on like the the vampire werewolf teen obsession trade even that's like, kind of fizzling out yeah I mean Underworld was dead a decade ago yeah I mean they're still making them I think but yeah but I mean that's not I mean, it's all about zombies now. I mean, it's it's we're moving slowly away from that. I feel like yeah, even zombies are passe. Yeah, so I I mean, and I just don't feel like these are. I mean, like so these things are these ideas are steeped in horror and uh, you know being menacing creatures of the night kind of ideas you know i mean creature of the blue lagoon for the time was scary right and now they're just kind of laughed at and like mocked so like i just don't know how they're really treating this material i mean no nobody does because it doesn't make any sense (laughs) hey but they're they're about they're gonna do it i i just i hope that these films do Make enough money that we get that first Avengers style Universal Monsters uh, yeah. film. Cause I just I have to know what that is. <laughs> I have to know. Fingers crossed, Colin. Fingers crossed. Yeah. So everybody, when it comes out, go see the Mummy and the Invisible Man, <laughs> please. Because we have to know. I I mean I'm I'm gonna die unfulfilled if if I don't if I don't understand that. Right. I'll, I mean, I'll I'll drive to Hollywood and steal the <laughs> script if I have to, but I have to know. I have to know what that is. Um, well, I think that's going to do it for open yeah. discussion. This, is, this has been kind of a, a strange and sad week for open yeah, discussion. I agree. Yeah. Um, but maybe we'll brighten it up with, for somebody, you know, with with the next couple things, mini hot takes and our, our review of... Uh, I don't think Green Room is going to brighten anything up, but... Uh, <laughs> I mean, Silicon Valley, maybe. Maybe your media hot take will will do that. So uh, we will be right back with one media hot take because I am worthless. Uh, Hold on to us. Don't let go. What a man! They're fighting each other, the police they win! Stop your backs and trash our holes! Trash your back if you got real balls! There's nothing close to God, so cool! We're back with Media Hot Take. 
singular. <laughs> that, that, that's awesome. Good job. Thanks. Yeah. Uh, so I am the lone hot take for the week. Yeah. Um, busy week for both of us. I, you know, I feel like this was... Uh, a, so, so basically what we did was we saw two movies this week. We did. And if you recall, Keanu came out... Uh, what you might have thought was late, but actually early. So we've recorded twice within a week because we love you. We love our listeners. And we love we love this podcast and we love what we do. Um, so, you know, consuming media was kind of hard in that amount of time, but um, heck, I... Heck, we might be recording early again. Yeah. We'll, we'll see what happens here. Um, so this this week, I decided to jump into something that I may have talked about before. I don't know if I... I've, you know, I don't remember you talking about it on the show. But you mentioned it, um, Silicon Valley. Yeah. So, um, this is Mike Judge's uh, series, it's Return to TV, um, about a group of techers that create a compression program that is so fast it will revolutionize data collection and storage for the future. Um, it is an interesting has an interesting sp- slot time slot because it follows Game of Thrones. So it you have this juxtaposition where you have the horrific rape and pillage of lands. And yeah, this hyper serious, hyper violent, yeah, fantasy. fantasy. And follow that, you have this half hour of Mike Judge, quippy, witty, subversive humor. Um, but it is by far the best comedy on television. Um, and this season, it, even though this season has been the first, the, the, the season debut um, was not laugh out loud funny. Like last season was some of the funniest television I've ever seen. Um, and there's been parts of this season that has equaled that but the first the first episode was kind of dark and dreary within itself um and i think it was necessary to set up uh where they're going the rest of this season and basically what you have is uh steven tobolowski stepping in as ceo of pied piper um and turning this startup into a real company and steven tobolowski is he, he plays pretty much a straight man and everything, and this is no different. Um, and he's just a such a welcome addition to the series. Um, his his character is business first, uh, product second, consumer third, um, which flies in the face of everything that the Pied Piper group decides to do and what's interesting about this is so the whole um the whole idea of tj miller's character is he's an incubator for pied piper and so they have to stay with him well now they have money now they have an office and so i was kind of wondered like what role they were going to give his character and he's kind of going off on on his own little arc and it's it's marvelous. He is so funny, yeah. and so genius. There in 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 season two, he um, he confronts Tobolowski and 
uh, tries to use ageism against him, and it is so unfunny and awkward that it's funny. Uh, the jokes are so bad, and so it makes makes the viewer so uncomfortable that it actually ends up being funny. Uh, particularly because Tobolowski is the straight man and he plays it completely straight without ever flinching. Um, if you if you haven't seen Silicon Valley, I know it's hard to get a hold of HBO. Uh, not everybody can afford the $15 a month, which can kind of seem ridiculous. But I know that a lot of times, this time of year, people who love Game of Thrones go ahead and get HBO Go or HBO Now is a thing. Um, and they'll pay that $15 for the three months that uh, Game of Thrones is on. Well, use this time to get caught up on the half-hour series of Silicon Valley. It's only a half hour. It's a good uh, come down from Game of Thrones. I would recommend it. If you're a fan of Office Space or Idiocracy or Beavis and Butthead even, you'll love Silicon Valley. What, uh, what season is the show on now? This is season three. Okay. Coming season three has just started. Yeah, we're three episodes in. Or, okay. d- sorry, two episodes in. Is that right? Two episodes in? Yeah, I think two. That sounds right. Yeah. So, yeah. It comes on right after Game of Thrones if you do have HBO. Um, it's well worth it. I showed Colin uh, the infamous horse sex scene, which has kind of stirred up PETA and a lot of uh, other people. Mike Judge. It doesn't sorry. take much to stir up PETA, That's though, true. to be fair. Uh Mike Judge in an interview was like, uh, you know, they, he, they, they were basically like, are you going to, you know, take blame for this? And he was like, I, if they want me to, I will. He's like, but I will say the notes I got back on the episode was uh, from HBO was, can we have more horse sex? Uh, he was like, so it wasn't all me. Um, and it is pretty graphic horse sex. I mean, it's, you know, at, like always Sonny said, full penetration. Full on penetration. But yeah, so that's my media hot take. Silicon Valley, watch it, um, or else. Okay, well that's, there you have it, folks. Well, uh, I think that does it for media hot takes. Let us move on to a spoiler-free review of Green Room. We are back with a spoiler-free review of Green Room. Oh, um, Green Room? A an uplifting film about a child's <laughs> personal is personal escape. <laughs> yeah, uplifting and um, brutally gory. J- just kidding. It's it's not about that at all. Um, so yeah, I, it's it's kind of hard to talk about what Green Room is about without giving too much away mm-hmm. um, I, I'm gonna I'm gonna try and do like a, a quick plot synopsis um, if you haven't seen the film or if you're not familiar with it it's about a punk band living the punk lifestyle who um, ends up you know they're they're traveling and playing and um, barely making enough money playing little gigs bar gigs to make it to the next gig um, and they end up at this kind of backwoods club that is pretty much run by, you know, neo-Nazis, something <laughs> like that. Um, and after they're set, they see something they shouldn't have uh, and end up 
um, kind of in way over their heads. It's uh, a good way to put it. Yeah. Obviously, it's called green room. Yeah. They're stuck in a green room. They get, they get trapped in a green room. Yep. Which doesn't sound very exciting on paper. <laughs> um, but, man. Uh, wow. One of the most intense uh, hour and a half I've ever been a part of. And that's the thing. is This film is not very long. It's, it's not. Um, this film will age you. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, so, yeah, that hour and a half is probably like a year of your life, I would say. Um, it's there are waves and uh, very but, but but those waves are very little there's very little reprieve in the waves um, there's sl- there's slither slithers of hope that slivers not slithers slivers of hope that quickly get dashed um, throughout the film um, but beautifully acted beautifully shot written and directed I mean just this so so far this is the best film I've seen this year and I shudder to think of a film that will be as unique and as visceral as this film yeah so uh, this is the most intense film I've seen in theaters since Gravity um, and in a in 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 a different way but um my heart was racing walking out of the theater. Uh, so, th- I mean, this basically, this film kind of sets up the characters, um, sets up the situation, and then it is just un- unrelentingly uh, intense um, until the climax, um, with just enough break in the tension to keep it effective yeah. uh, as soon as it starts up again. Um, it's so we're, we're going to talk about this for a little bit uh, I'm just going to go ahead and say now it is a it is a great film um, if you can stand realistic and brutal violence uh, if, if, the, if that phrase doesn't turn you off then you should go see this film um, I mean Jeremy Saulnier is, or Saulnier, however you want to pronounce it, um, is just awesome. Uh, and especially at the beginning of the film, um, you get to really feel his style as a director. Um, and, and I feel like once they get to the venue, um, he doesn't get to kind of do the same things as a director. Um the the I, I don't know it's it's hard to hard to describe but um, he's incredibly talented um, his writing is just so real you know yeah. it's this never this, a lot of movies like this uh, or you know Blue Ruin which was his last film like you just you feel like you're watching normal people mm-hmm. respond to a horrific situation yeah but not any like so so his dialogue to me, is just fascinating because it feels like real dialogue. It feels like a conversation that people would have. There's no... First of all, the exposition does not explain anything that a normal conversation wouldn't explain. There's no overly long monologues. There's no... It's... In a lot of ways, it's... The best thing... The best 
the best thing about the mumblecore genre was the fact that their dialogue um, seemed natural. But this in no way seems like a mumblecore movie because there's no uh, rabbit trails. I, 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 like a lot of times, if you in in those type of movies. Um, if someone else made this movie, you would have, um, you know, when they're having a discussion about um, your the, the your uh, Desert Island band, like, that could go on forever. And this movie could have easily been two hours long with long, drawn-out dialogue and these overarching um, character plot points. He says, F that. Yeah. We're, we're, this is the movie I'm making. We're sticking to the plot. We don't need all this character development. You're going to feel for my characters because of the situation they're in. And I'm going to let the natural dialogue show you who these people are. Yeah. There's So there's there's no pandering in At all, either yeah. one of these films. He's not. He does not belabor the points. Like You will understand what is happening based on context, based on character. Uh Interactions, but you know nothing that you're. Nothing is going to be needlessly spelled out for you. Um, and his his just his his aesthetic, um, the way he writes characters, the way he writes dialogues, uh, and then how these very real characters respond to these situations he puts them in, um, is just something very unique. Uh, so yeah, agreed. Um, you know his kind of his muse in a lot of ways, Megan Blair, um, who uh, has been in all of his films so far. Um, who is a real talent. Uh, he is a guy who, uh, if he, this is going to sound messed up, but I guess if he was better looking. He probably would have have a, have a bigger career already by now because he's talented. He's charismatic in a um, a different kind of way. Um, he is just he's a, he is an excellent actor. Like I, I want him to get cast in more roles because, and honestly, he he feels a lot like a young Philip Seymour Hoffman, in a way. Um, you know, he's short, kind of stocky build, has this just sympathetic face, and a tone and a voice that just. You, it seems like you you know that guy, um, and I think he's got a real future ahead of him. I I, I hope he gets more opportunity other than just Sonya Air movies. Um, Patrick Stewart's great. Um, I I told Colin before we start talking that Imogen Poots. Um, what's her character's name in the film? I you know is it Emma. Emma, yeah. Is that right? She was uh, the real surprise to me because the only thing I had remembered her in was was she was in Fright Night with Anton Yelchin as well. And she, I mean, she doesn't have a whole lot to do in that. It's obviously a popcorn remake. Um, But I just, she was a revelation for me in this film. Um, She carries a lot of the dramatic weight um, in this film. And she, she's asked to do some some heavy lifting as well. She's yeah, her so her character I, I mean, we don't want to talk too to get into spoilers, but her character is kind of uh a a, a foil for the band in some ways. Um 
uh, yeah. But I I don't know. Uh, I I feel like there's a lot I want to say, and there's a lot that is probably spoiler spoiler related. But. Yeah, and it's a movie that you don't want to be spoiled in. So that's that's kind of like I I mean I would say if you don't have to, don't watch the trailer. Not that the trailer gives away a ton, um, but I just this is a movie where you don't need a trailer to to enjoy. And in fact, I I tried to actively avoid. Uh, a lot of the marketing and uh, any trailer that I saw on TV, I immediately <clears throat> turned off. Yeah. Just because there are a lot of twists and turns in this. It's not. It's not that. It's not six sense level twists, but there's a lot that happens in a short amount of time uh, that I wouldn't want to have known before I went in. Yeah. Um, yeah. I I really love this film. Um, it's incredible. Uh, what I will say, and I, I guess I can say this spoiler free, is I don't think I liked it as much as Blue Ruin, but it's not the same film, uh, not the same kind of film mm-hmm. as Blue Ruin. Um, I, I feel like this was more of an idea centric film, and Blue Ruin was more of a character s- study. Uh, I agreed. Um, yeah, uh, that that my my one big knock on the movie we can I think get more into it in um, uh, in spoilers just because uh, I want to talk about this idea more is Blue Ruin is you, it has a more cohesive theme yes uh, behind it and um, I don't think that there are a whole I, I don't I don't know what the theme is in Green in Green Room I don't see I, I don't either um and I kind of, they kind of points in some directions, um, but this film felt more like characters being placed in a situation rather than exploring an idea of choice. Or, yeah. Yeah. I, I don't want to ruin Blue Ruin for, ruin Blue Ruin for anybody. Ruin Blue Ruin. Um, but make, like Megan Blair's performance was so good in Blue Ruin and it was so perfect like for mm-hmm. the role yeah and it's such it was such a haunting beautiful sad poignant and funny film yeah um, I, I just I I don't know I yeah it's they're different um, and I really enjoyed both of them but I think I like Blue Ruin more um, with that being said there are just there are several stretches in this film where I can't think of I can't think of like footage or film that is as intense as what I'm watching except maybe the Normandy Beach scene in Saving Private Ryan which has always been a benchmark for me yeah or certain parts of uh, I'm totally gonna totally drawing a blank now Um, the Christian Bale movie that we like that nobody else has seen except for Evan um the machinist? No, where he has PTSD. Oh, harsh times. Harsh times. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. So I, I mean, yeah. This, I just, I don't know if I've ever seen tension built as effectively as a couple scenes uh, do in this film. And I think it's because you really don't know what's going to happen next. You don't know. You he never gives you an idea of how they're going to get out of this, and. Every time there seems to be light in the tunnel, 
it quickly closes. So you don't have. There's always a sense of dread and anticipation, or not anticipation, but anxiety over what's going to happen next. Yeah, the, and the characters just react so naturalistically, and their acting is so good yeah. in the scenes that it is just. It is like you are there with them and you are freaking out. Yeah. There's no stupid characters, but there's no like brilliant character either. There's no there's no character that has the answer and there's no character who just does the dumb thing. They do, all do things that seem realistic. Yeah. And true to their character, to the the character that he's portrayed up until that point. You know? Um, you want to move to spoilers? Yeah, I, I think that's it. Uh, I mean, I'll just say one more time. You know, if you can bear violence... If you like an intense thriller, if you want to see something different, you want to see a super talented writer director, like go see this movie. It's awesome. Like, and let me put it this way, um, you know, if you are a fan of Coen Brothers films, uh, and I guess I should qualify that as like <laughs> No Country for Old Men style uh, uh, films, then you you'll like this this type of film. Yeah, I mean, yes and no. I, I can see some of the appeal there, but the, the writing of characters is kind of hard to compare between. No, I just mean, I, yeah, in terms of violence yeah. and uh, the violence that the Coen Brothers portray in their films is very similar to what he portrays here. Um, quick bursts of violence that, that you're not going to have long drawn out gunfighting scenes. Yes, um, in this, it's very realistic. It's very matter of fact. Um, and the consequences it's just a realistic film that's the only way I can put it it's the yeah. natural realistic I can say it different ways but it's just this and it's his thing this is Jeremy Saulnier's thing yeah, is exactly. making characters feel real and behave in a manner that is authentic so yeah. let's let's move on to spoilers uh Yep, if you haven't seen Green Room, stop listening, go fucking see the movie, uh, and then come back and listen to this. So we'll be right back with spoilers for Green Room. What? Honey! Wow! Are you kidding me? Really? You just ruin it every time! I'll see you at home. Wait a second. Now how would you not know that that was taking place? Oh my god. Uh, yeah. Um. Wow. Where do you want to start? I mean, I feel like everything... Everything up, I mean, there's uh, an hour of this movie is spoiler territory. Like, did you, we we did, danced right. around everything that we could. Did you ever like? So you you like to exclaim in theaters sometimes. What oh. what was your first like out loud, oh fuck moment? Because I I know m- what mine was. I th- or your first gasp or something like that. I'm trying to think. I. Um, Probably when Worm pulls a knife out of her head, maybe. Okay, I can I, see, I can see that. I was like, I, and that was like a smaller one. Um, definitely when the box cutter, when Image and Poots, yeah, that cuts, that I, was it for me. I definitely was like, oh shit. <laughs> I think it went, oh fuck. <laughs> yeah. What well, it uh, just yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. I, th- I think that was the that was the loud that was when I really got loud. But yeah, uh, I mean th- this happens several times in that movie. Um, when he breaks his arm, I was like, "What the fuck?" Even you know, like, and that was that's prior to the yeah. the gut buster. <laughs> uh, 
That just the whole that like we were saying, you know, in non spoilers, it's just so realistic. Um, even like, I don't know, just the motion, the way she puts the knife down and slides it up, yeah, like very slowly, like it just unzipping his abdomen. And she wasn't enjoying it necessarily. There was there was like a look of like I've got to do this, and it was then it was like oh shit, what did I just do? Like, oh, see, I didn't I didn't feel like I, I felt like she was like stepping up because nobody else mm, was willing sure. to. But I feel like her character still was like, oh my god, like, there's no turning back now. But, like, she knew these people, you know, that's the other thing, is her character knew what they were capable of. Um, whereas these kids, I don't think, fully understood until Anton Yelchin's hands gets, gets almost ch- chopped off. And that's the... And, and, so, let me just say this, too. You know, there is graphic, brutal violence, but a, a lot of... A lot of the violence takes place off screen, and a lot of it's done with sound. He's yeah, I, he and the the sound sound is... and the score for the movie is like awesome too. Uh, and yeah. it was an original score. Uh, I wish we looked up the composer to give. I think it was a her. Give the whoever the composer is, give them a shout out. Yeah, because sound is used so effectively. But he does he does a really good job of um, implying violence when he needs yeah. to uh, when. Like when the lead singer gets hit by the dog, um, oh yeah, gets his throat ripped out. You, it's not like a close up, well lit shot. Right. It's it's in the shot is in shadow. Like they show you enough to make you believe it, and then it's good direction and the sound that really is what you're experiencing to make you believe that. Oh, okay. See, I think I saw Brooke and assumed it was a woman. Yeah, so Brooke and Will Blair were the composers for the original score, um, which was just freaking awesome. Yeah, beautiful score. Uh, haunting. the yeah. And great choice of music. I mean, uh, you know, this, this could have easily felt um, pandering by the music they picked. It could have easily played into uh, pop, pop, uh, not necessarily pop punk music, but you know they did choose a, a Dead Kennedy song, but it was like, you know, um, a lesser known. I feel like um, you know they could have went a different route with this, and he just went deep into the scene, man. He dug deep into the scene. There's a lot of yeah. They talk about bands that I've never heard of. Not that I'm the end all be all, but like yeah. I just, I mean, they put the look and feel in this movie 100%. Like, uh, I don't know what the budget was, but it seems like it was used wisely, put it that way. Yeah. Yeah, I, I mean, the so the, I don't know, I mean, I, I was calling it the venue, whatever. The, the venue, the location that this all takes place in is, is like a character. It really is, yeah. It really is. And they, I, it's just... So, Blue Ruin is a much more straightforward narrative, I feel like, and uh, he, Saulnier, Saulnier had the chance to do some interesting things with um, narrative without exposition here, yeah. which is the, the relationship um, between the cousin and the dead girl, uh, and is it Worm, the, yeah. the super Nazi, um, and the... The fact that there are drugs there, and that's why they're protecting this place, and his use of 
all these <laughs> like wannabe you know neo-nazis yeah. or movement members or revolutionaries there's just like the way everything fits together is just it just feels authentic they don't have to s- set up unnecessary exposition to yeah never hand like oh okay they're the red laces mean this exactly they, it's just and you don't like you don't see films written this way no uh, which it's such a relief when you seeing a film like this is just like it gives you hope for cinema like like you that red laces thing was just so like when he gives Macon Blair's character those red laces it's like you know what that means like there, there's weight to that simple gesture mm-hmm. because throughout the movie any job that needs to be done correctly or with confidence is done by the red laces mm-hmm. you know and there's no exposition saying we gotta get the red laces because we know that they're gonna take care of their business that, that, that those words never uttered yeah, it's, it's like, just we need the best we need our elite call in the red laces <laughs> yeah exactly it's never ha- it never happens yeah it's implied and we're not I mean he respects his audience enough to know that they'll they'll get it and then when that moment when Megan Blair's character who uh, and Patrick Stewart the leader of this Darcy is his name uh, in his eyes has handled this the best way possible he gives him his red laces and that's a huge moment um, in in the film um Man, I, 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 I think Patrick Stewart's performance was so subtle. I did not expect it to be as understated as it was. Really? Uh, yeah. I, I I expected him to be uh, a lot more brash and a lot more menacing in a, in a different way. Um, but really, he's just... Saw, I mean, soft-spoken, never really raises his voice... Um, just seems like he is in control of the situation. Yeah. Um, and never once do you feel like he is being illogical or um, being... Um, you, you never feel like his character is being stupid either. Like, uh, initially you're like... Uh, he must have a huge amount of loyalty to Worm. Why wouldn't he just turn him in for the murder? Well, it's because he's got a pile of heroin underneath him. Or drugs. They're making meth. Whatever. There's a yeah. drug lab underneath this building. It's it's heroin. And yeah. he's it, it makes sense because it's like, this is, this is self-preservation. It has uh-huh. nothing to do with Worm. If that was the case, he would have just thrown him to the dogs and been done with it. Yeah. Um, this has to do with an operation that he's... A cash operation where he's making money. Well, and then okay, so there's there's a line of dialogue and then a scene, which deal with that, which deal with his plan for Worm. Oh right, yeah. Which is he he gives him heroin and then yeah. says to Macon Blair's character, you know, I heard there's a bad batch of yeah other heroin going around. Yeah. around um, and then the final scene shows Worm eating cereal while somebody shot up next to him and mm-hmm. is probably dead yeah so appears to be dead yeah yeah Darcy you know and it's I mean it's it's just it's not 
spoon-fed to you. And it it ties back into this character being in control and having a plan for everything and just mm-hmm. being able to react to clean up this situation. Um, what did you think of um, the handling of the death scenes? Um, like, so the one character, uh, was it Joe? The... Uh, the drummer who seemed to be like had a short temper but he was a fighter he's got yeah. the guy in the arm bar like and I love the fact that this guy just knows jujitsu. yeah I mean he literally knows jujitsu, and that's just part of his character mm-hmm. and well he's he's the he's the, the tough guy in the yeah. band you know but it, it, it's uh, never the fighter yeah it's never like oh let Joe handle it he's the tough guy it's just this is the guy he steps up he's willing to fight he's ready to bust some heads um and then he immediately gets killed. I just it it was like this was their one hope. This guy uh, is ready, is willing to fight, and he dies brutally. Well, I think so. I think that whole scene sets up the the that that's like a real important dichotomy between this movie and a normal Hollywood movie. Yeah, because right. yeah. The, they finally talk themselves out of the room, like after this incredibly tense, you know, sequence. Mm-hmm. Um, but they don't, you know, they don't. There's no like thirty second montage of them like building weapons. <laughs> yeah. They just. Yeah. He goes, and they just flight. They just follow him. Yeah. And it goes south immediately, and their leader slash the toughest one of them dies immediately. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And just. I think it's it's like, you know, if you are still he's addressing the the audience, if you are still expecting these people to like, you know, go all descent and like bathe right. in the blood of their enemies and conquer their fears and kill everybody one by one, hunt them, you know, hunt yeah, it's not gonna happen. Not gonna happen, yeah. They might survive, but they might not survive. And that's what it's gonna be, survival. It's not gonna be winning. Um, and the thing I love about it too is it, uh, is there in June? Oh man, I cannot talk today. It is their 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 brain that gets them out of this, and in in a lot of ways, but it's also a lot of just luck and uh, fortitude, like just being strong enough to get through it. But at the same time, a little bit of luck and a little bit of brains. Like uh, you never feel like they outsmart anybody necessarily. Uh, they, you definitely doesn't feel like they outsmart um, um, Darcy. Uh, it just seems like they kind of got lucky um, with the way their plan comes out. And it doesn't feel, it doesn't ring false. It seems like a, it's a great plan. Like, it really is an excellent plan. Um, I, I don't know. I think... Any other movie would have, uh, like you said, they would have created weapons and they would have bowed their way out. They would have had some goofy trick to pull off. Um, and there was a little bit of trickery in it um, with her hiding in the couch yeah. and not being seen. But, I mean, it's whatever. You have that. Yeah. You know? Now, there... So, I... I... I do want to talk about the ending, um, but there were a few things I didn't really like in the film. Um, 
one of which was the 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 pep talk or like the rally the troops speech by Anton Yelchin's character just that was the only thing that didn't quite feel authentic in the film see I thought it felt and not, not the first time but oh, okay, like when they're okay. sitting on the couch right, and it's yeah. just them and she's like you know finish it's it's the moment where the two badasses are like resigned to yeah. either dying or going out in a blaze of glory and just like finish that amusing anecdote from before like while <laughs> we smoke our last cigar yeah. Uh, yeah it just that felt out of place um I I don't know it it, it didn't feel authentic like I, I understand the idea that like you know you have to Drawn. Think differently. Yeah, and I like the idea that you're drawing on past experiences too, though. That, I mean, it was like that one instance in his life comes back to save his life. In but a way. but does it really? Because, I mean, I mean, it inspires Emma to you know come up with this plan, but it doesn't really even necessarily apply. Yeah, you're right. It doesn't. Like, I mean, the the I mean, the story he talks about is somebody just basically rushing in a paintball match. Yeah. And taking everybody by surprise. Uh, right. Which is not. I mean, they use subterfuge, but they don't. You know. That's true. Like, what I mean is is the point to say like we can't win playing their game, so. We have to, you know, I I understand, I guess. No, but you you are right. It, I I think, in from a screenwriting perspective, I feel like that may have been the area that because anytime you're writing a, a script, there is a you you know, you know you want to get from B to C. It's just how do you get there? And a lot of times, especially in a film like this, anything you come up with is going to see seem goofy or trite you know and I I I, I, I or contrived I should say yeah. I, I think and I think that's what you're saying here and it makes sense I agree um, I didn't think about it that way at all in the film um, but now looking back uh, you're right you're correct I, I agree it was it, I don't know how they could have approached it differently I don't know uh, if they even needed that pep talk if it could have been just I don't know it seems like they could have just been like I, I don't know I don't, how do you approach that I mean you have to uh, address that there's going to be a plan right I was thinking like maybe it just cuts to the red laces kicking in the door and they're already in position doing what they're doing but I feel like that would seem almost like a cheap way out I don't know. That's an interesting um, storytelling. Uh, I, I would be interested to hear maybe commentary on that. Yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't necessarily have an, an alternate proposal, but mm-hmm. I guess what I'm saying is compared to how real... The rest of the film felt. The rest of yeah. the film felt, how authentically the characters react. Mm-hmm. Uh, it just, it felt... It felt like I was watching a movie sure. instead of yeah. watching Green Room. What else? Did, what, is there anything else that you didn't... Uh, I, f- I feel like there was something else that was bothering me, but... I mean, really, the only thing I came out with was... 
at the end of Blue Ruin, I just felt like I had questions and I had like uh, a, a better idea of like uh, you know I don't know just about life maybe in general like you know family and cohesiveness and what it means and this film I just you know I I I'd listened to a couple podcasts I've read a couple reviews just trying to get my mind kind of wrapped around like the themes of this movie and you know somebody said it's a coming of age story um, where you know it's a metaphor for um, adolescence into adulthood um, it's a people have said um, it's um, showing how you learn from past mistakes or past experiences to uh, learn life lessons. And I just don't feel like that is either you're digging really deep into this story um, or I missed something. Well, so, so Blue Ruin is, you know, a character makes a choice and then he, you get to move with him and see the consequences of that choice from the beginning to the end, literally. Uh, And this, you don't, you know, you don't feel like... There's there's no arc. And, you know, I, I understand, like, he is not interested in having characters change or learn a moral lesson, but it... The experience is so, like singular here you know it's just this one event and just these these people surviving um i don't if there is a metaphor or if there is a a bigger picture um then i i definitely did not pick up on it on on the first viewing but uh See, that's kind of why I wanted to see it again, because, like you were saying, like, it seems like they're, I I don't know, um, maybe it's an idea of you can overcome, you know, normal people can get overcome extraordinary opposition. I I, I feel like Saunier is the type of director who doesn't just throw together a film. Like, I feel like they're, I just, I mean, even Murder Party... I feel like has a clear theme to it. Yeah. Um, and <laughs> Brian's baby is coughing right now. Um, so I don't know. I, I definitely want to see this again. I definitely, I mean, I'd like to hear him talk about it more. Yeah. Um, no, no, I mean, maybe, so maybe really we're looking at it wrong and it's more about Darcy who has, all this power, all this control, oh, all these people willing to follow his orders, but he can't fix this situation um, because these people just kind of refuse to roll over and die. Um, That's an interesting view. Yeah, so I, I don't know. that. That is all I could really... That's kind of all I can come up with. Um, I wish I will say like I wish Megan Blair's character had a bigger role in the film mm-hmm. um, just because I really like him and I liked you know clearly he was a little bit out of place uh, 
but I wanted to understand more about his the choice he makes at the end. Um, yeah, that that too was another head scratcher. Um, because he's he's really he's calm under pressure when all this stuff happens. But at that moment, uh, you know, he's given a choice of, you know, he could have easily snuck behind them or ran ahead of them, whatever. But he chose to do what he said he was going to do. Yeah. And well, and and there's there's an exchange about um, his value and him. I couldn't tell if it was him avoiding prison or him uh, not visiting yeah. somebody in prison. Good point. Um, that's that's true because he, he makes he has a line of dialogue too where he says I either I can't go to prison or he says something to well at the end of the film he says I want to go to jail oh that's right he I want to go yeah. to prison yeah. he says I want to go to prison yeah Inter- yeah that's an interesting huh yeah I wonder if there was something edited, edited out there you think I don't know uh, I mean his yeah, I'd be interested Interested to watch the film again and look at trying yeah. to think about it from his perspective. Um, I really, I will say, I really enjoyed the end of the film. Um, yeah, the, the, you're talking about the very last scene. Well, the, I mean, the very last scene was was a great capstone, but the, I think there's a choice where, and I, I can't remember any of the, the characters' names. Um, <laughs> The oh, give me a second here. Anton Yelchin's character. What was his freaking character name? Oh, um, yeah, I don't remember. But but anyway, they're they're marching towards you know a, a phone or whatever. Pat is his character's name. Um, and they hear basically the sounds of the the cover up or the you know the oh, right, his, yeah. his friend's body is being disposed of and it's like you know there it's it's not like it it it, it feels like it's it's not they're not going there to he's not going back for revenge or whatever he's just like he's in this too deep like yeah. Right. He's not thinking anymore. It's just like the situation requires him to, you know, see this through. Yeah, like, and he doesn't even really. Um, well, because he, I think he still believes that they might be alive too, because he makes mention like, "Did you see them all die?" Yeah. And he, his kind of thing is like, because when he gets there, he has a little bit of trepidation about whether or not he should pull the trigger or just wait for the cops. Um, where she is hellbent on revenge. Yeah. Um, and he's just kind of like, I don't want to do this. Let's just wait for the cops. So um, I think there that, that's a, to me, is a sign of loyalty um, to his friends and a sense of uh, kinship and responsibility. So, I mean, maybe that theme is in there, too, of I'm not going to leave my friends behind if there's a chance that they're alive. See, yeah, I mean that that I think that's a valid interpretation. I just uh yeah, I <laughs> I don't know. I I thought it was I I liked that 
decision as opposed to them like you know him being motivated by revenge suddenly right. or um you know saying like no we have to get out of here or whatever he just he he's compelled to go and see yeah see what is really happening or you know see the end yeah um yeah i i really i i enjoyed it um yeah i think this is a an a an a film for me it's definitely like i said this is my favorite film so far that i've seen this year i think it's I mean, the the small nitpicks that we've had about it, uh, is, I mean, you can find that in almost any film, um, and none of the weaknesses are glaring. Yeah, um, the I mean, and the the problem with our like us talking about the film or critiquing it is, it is so good at building tension that, you know, no, nothing we say is like can take away from yeah. how how fucking like exhilarating this film is yeah like and from the moment that uh Anton Yelchin's character decides to call 911 and oh, Macon Blair so chases him yeah. down and takes it like it's just you and to his credit like the acting in that scene was I didn't I didn't think his performance was necessarily great through the rest of the film mm-hmm but then again, like his character is, you know, maybe a little bit in shock. By he, he's been brutalized, yeah. yeah. But but that scene, like he is so good in that scene where he, you know, <clears throat> is like trying to process this and then process the decision he should make yeah. and weigh the consequences and like the danger to him. Uh, and it all happens like five seconds. Uh, it's and that's so cool, so realistic too. Yeah. That's again, that's, I mean, that's how that happens, you know. Um, and Sonier doesn't draw it out. He doesn't make this extended cut long sequence. It's everything happens in a matter of boom, boom, boom. And, you know, our characters are made to give real time decisions. Make it Blair has to make a decision. It's, it's, first of all, it's edited too. I mean, yeah. we, we've talked about the composition of the film, or the, you know, the, the soundtrack, the acting, the direction, and the editing. I mean, it's all. I, Everything about this film was just really well done, and I think that goes. And I'm gonna give um, Jeremy Saulnier, 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 Saulnier. I'm gonna give him a lot of credit for this too because I think that um, he has a vision for a film, and being able to relate that to your crew, your cast, um, your editor. I mean, I feel like he's oversaw the majority of this film and he deserves a lot of the credit for that. Um, to me, he is the type of filmmaker that falls in the vein of, of P.T. Anderson. It falls into the vein of a Tarantino where they have their hands involved in every single aspect of the film. Um, not because necessarily they're cult control freaks, but because they have a specific vision for their art. Mm-hmm. And... Um, some cases, I like Kevin Smith, M. Night Shyamalan, eventually it falters. Yeah. I don't feel like he's that kind of director. And I feel yeah. like his films definitely have his fingerprint on him. If you show me a film by him, by him, I could say, yeah, he directed that film. Yeah. Um, he definitely has a unique style. 
and really it's his writing it's his dialogue that stands out most yeah but um yeah anything else you want to say before we talk about next week no I mean I'm just like I'm so excited to see more of his films man. yeah me like, too if I have to wait more than two years for another one it's gonna be it's gonna be sad um yeah I, I wanna go back and watch Blue Ruin again yeah um agreed um but yeah this so this like Blue Ruin was so good and blew us away um because you know as much as I love Murder Party as many times <laughs> as I watched it as clever as it is it it's you know who I don't who could have like predicted that <laughs> right that person would go on to make Blue Ruin which was just the I mean the most the most surprising film of by by far I, you know I go back yeah. when I saw Blue Ruin I'm like and I didn't know at that point that that was the same guy that made yeah. Murder Party I'm like I don't want to see what else this guy's done like yeah. I want to look at it and I see Murder Party on there and I'm just like Colin, what? What? Is Colin showed me this movie, yeah. you know, years ago, two or three years ago, and I was just like, it's it's great, it's hilarious, it's fun, it's yeah. well done, but it is nothing like these other two movies in tone. No. Um, you de- you definitely can see some of the tricks um, and the skill and uh, the tension that he can build in Murder Party, uh-huh. but it is not the same type of film at all. Um, and that it just, yeah. And the green room's right there with me. I I cannot wait for more more films by him. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, um, freaking awesome. So if you're at this point, like we always say about this time, what are you doing? Go see it. What? Yeah. What What is wrong with you? Why are you such a masochist? <laughs> yeah. Um. So big big uh, big show next week, man. Might be yeah. our um, biggest podcast yet. Uh, <laughs> We're going to go see um, Lady in the Van. Uh-huh. Uh, finally. Finally. <laughs> uh, that's actually a double feature. We're also going to see Barbershop the next cut. Yes. Um, <laughs> the freshen up. What what other what other things can we lie about? I don't know. We're going to see Civil War, guys. Come on. You, you knew it. Uh, how exciting. Um, reviews so far have been spectacular. Colin is seeing this tonight without me. Yeah. I'm very upset. But I will see you tomorrow. To be fair, I can't I can't go to the XD showing because of the podcast. So I did make a small oh. sacrifice for you. Well, thanks, buddy. I yeah. appreciate that. Uh-huh. Um, you know, every everything about this film has been glowing reviews all around. Um, some even some even calling it the best comic book film ever made. Um, so I I don't know. I mean, the Russo brothers did like you know. Winter Soldier was just so awesome. Yeah. Um, I, uh, I'm, I'm stoked. And everybody's saying, like, this Spider-Man is the best Spider-Man. Like, I, that's been the other side of you is, like... Yeah, how, I mean, how much fucking screen time could he possibly <laughs> right? have? Right? I'm just like, what? So, I don't know. We're, we're stoked to see it. Um, next week is going to be an awesome show. Yeah. We'll have more media hot takes for you. Yeah. Um, Colin's hopefully going to be able to squeeze his in. I've got I've got one in the works, one in the pipeline. It's just you know, when do I have time in my life to sit down and enjoy something? <laughs> yeah. The answer is almost never. So, but but hopefully that that will uh, that will change with this upcoming week. So, yeah. So, um, you know, hey, give us some iTunes rates. Um, that will help us uh, get more listeners. Share us, you know, talk about us, email us, midnightfilmreview at gmail.com. 
Snap, think, Snapchat us some dick pics. Snapchat us. Um, so, uh, anything else, Con? Or are we going to... Uh, yeah. No, email us at midnightfilmreview at gmail.com and you might win a copy of... The General Specific. Which is, you know... A comedy about everything <laughs> catered to you. But it's a little bit of Brian that you get to keep with you forever it's and a, ever. Yeah, an hour and a half of Brian. An hour and a half. Um... Some people call me the next Macon Blair, but I mean, we we could <laughs> one could only hope. That's true. And if you know, if if he's the next Philip Seymour Hoffman, I mean, what does that say about me? I I you're gonna die of a heroin overdose. Oh soon. shit! <laughs> Damn it! Yeah. All right. Uh, well, not hilarious and light lighthearted note. <laughs> we will uh we'll be back at you soon. All up in your ear grills with some uh yeah. Civil War reviewness. Catch you on the flip side. Wordness to the turnness. <laughs> Fuck! 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 Fuck!